You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Harrell. Those moments where you're thinking, huh, this is this is conflict, this person isn't happy, and I'm I'm now got to think about the things that I'm not aware of. And it usually leads to that curiosity will help you because now you're like, okay, what's what's behind this conflict? podcast coming to you not live from the basement of excellence where I am surrounded by the accoutrement of greatness a poster of Muhammad Ali a green shade accountant lamp and a plaid shirt I'm your host the man from Nolens Johnny Midas John Thacker Jr. and I am joined today by Lena Ficcionato and expert author Elizabeth Swan Elizabeth welcome to the show thank you John thank you for having me well, I'm happy and excited to have you on here because you wrote a book that I read and I enjoyed. So talking about reading, um, I imagine you probably read a little bit if you write a little bit. And uh, every once in a while, it feels to me like a chore, you know, like I'm going to read a, a book a month or something. And mm. I don't know why, but it's just something I started doing uh, as a kid. And uh, this was a book that was not drudgery to read. So Salute. Salute, John. I'm going to salute you in my self-serving mug. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I love it. That better be available on the merch store. I got to get it on the merch store. uh, I can can hook you up with a guy that's really good at marketing. So we will uh, get on all here. Let's talk, John. Let's talk. So um, I think the thing that stood out to me about this book, besides the fact that I agree with it, which automatically makes it an excellent book, um, I love the format. What a in, engaging, easy to read format. So what was what was going through your mind? How'd you come up with that? Um, well, first, I just want to thank you for um, the high praise. <laughs> My book is not a drudgery to read. <laughs> I love it when the bars I'm getting over are just right, like, right. you know, yeah, yeah. knee level. So then let's see the the format grew out it was a bit organic so these started as posts and uh it was a chance for me to you know throw something out there that i uh, these were all things i learned so i was throwing out something i learned and it was usually some kind of a challenge and i was always asking hey what how did you deal with this if you dealt with this and then folks just engaged on LinkedIn, right? And some of the conversations got massive. I mean, some of them were, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, um, maybe there were a few she comments. She went viral. That's what, that's what she's trying to say. <laughs> it, it went viral. There was virality in, in this whole process, John. And uh, different people commented. So yourself included, I, I've got you on a nice quote in this book. And um, I wanted to retain that conversation but obviously you know a a book full of lengthy zoom i mean um linkedin conversations is a bit unwieldy so i had to curate and think about what were the quotes in here that 
resonated for me, taught me something. They gave me an idea, gave me an example of how it happened to them, gave me a book, gave me a quote, you know, a, a nice quote that they kind of live by or appreciate. And so I curated those and then thought, okay, well, that's the wisdom of the crowd, right? Because this was a crowdsourced book in a way, a little, a little improv. So I wanted to include that. And then I thought, well, can't include all the comments. So I need to summarize what did I learn, right, from those comments? What's my takeaway? So I, I uh, first off, there's the drawing because I, I like to draw. And that was a way for me to <laughs> include kind of an emotional part of it. You know, when you have people, you can show their eyes. You can show anxiety, anger, or fear. And then um, the story then the wisdom of the crowd, the question I asked to the crowd, how they answered it. And then my reflections, because I couldn't include everybody. And then it was like, well, what should the reader, what could the reader do with this? So then it was those questions for the reader, you know, prompts like, you know, wh what would you experiment with, right? We're back to our lean world. What would you experiment? What would, what would a kind of, I didn't use these terms because I tried to keep, keep jargon out, but you know, what would future state look like? You know, how would that yeah, work out yeah. if you tried this? So that was kind of ended up being the model, but there was a PDSA process that led to that, that, that whole format. Well, it, it came out really well. You know, uh, we, we talk about, oh, you know, busy lifestyle, whatever. I'm sure Socrates felt the same way. In fact, uh, I think the, uh, I think the challenge is as we, kind of do stuff in life we're always ordering like what's more important you know so if you know a kid falls down the stairs i just drop what i'm doing but most of most of what happens is like in the, this gray area but however my brain is wired i have to get to the end of the thought i have to come to terms with the author before i put the book down right and sometimes that's the end of the chapter in the back of my mind i'm going through like you know, how to read a book. Well, is this paragraph a complete thought? How does it fit into the other, you know, all of this stuff and having a book that's sort of uh, chopped up into pieces that you can finish in a timely manner is actually super helpful uh, for me as a grown up with a real job and a fake job and kids and a cigar podcast. That's for another story, another time. Um, so well done. I, I really enjoy it. As you can see here, it is on the top of my book stack of excellence in the basement of excellence. Um, so picture yourself a leader, illustrated micro lessons for navigating change. Great title because it tells me what I'm getting into. I really appreciate that. You know, I hate books with names like The Secret. You know, I'm like, just put it on the fucking cover. You know, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to read, read the whole thing. Um, so it... <laughs> Thank you for the clarity. I know our, our mutual friend, Karen Martin, would greatly appreciate that. Um, I also appreciate the copy you sent me and the kind words. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Your involvement has been, it was a nice organic flow. Like I reached out to you as I did to probably a lot of other 90 plus people to get permission to quote you, right? Because even though it was on LinkedIn, my process was I need to ask permission. And some people didn't respond to me. I think maybe they just dropped off LinkedIn, who knows? So I had to take their quotes out, right? And, and replace them with a different quote. So you responded and you were honored and you said, hey, when this book comes out, and that was you know more than a year off at that point, maybe you'd like to come on the podcast. 
and then uh, just the unfurling your actual like you know people might say i want to read your book or they might even say hey i got your book but that doesn't mean they read the book and you immediately <laughs> read the book right and you totally appreciated it and then you were vocal about your appreciation and that unfurling that process that flow was just um very I think you know as a writer to have someone tell you how your writing impacts them, uh, how it's useful, that's a gift and not everyone has the time or the inclination to, you know, make that a reality. Well, I have a simple philosophy, be honest, and if you can, be nice. Um, so all, <laughs> everything that I've said is true. Um, so. Uh, Unfortunately, you did have to leave some quotes out, so we will never know where the Ark of the Covenant is buried. But as we look, <laughs> as we look through the contents, um, there are some major sections, and then there's uh, sort of pieces within those uh, broader ideas. Great structure. Again, I love it. Uh, very. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but a lot of people that are in the continuous improvement space have a mind that works a certain way you know, with a certain amount of uh, order, if I can put it that way. Uh, and this just clicks the, the way that it's laid out. So there's consider your actions. That's part one. Speak thoughtfully. My wife tells me I need to work on that one. Adopt your or adapt your routines, expand your reach, treat people with respect and respect yourself. All um, excellent. And then I love that you wrap it up with like reflection, you know, and gratitude and uh you know it, it doesn't just uh kind of park the airplane and say that's it hope you had a nice ride you know there's like this encouragement to okay how are you going to use this you know and and apply it to yourself as you go through so I, it's hard to explain because it's um a self-help book in some ways um around some key components that are really necessary you know for good leadership um I just I found it very useful and and actionable and clearly written. So good job. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, John. And it's uh, it's funny. It just clicked something. What you just said It's it's kind of like lean self-help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wrote the last book I wrote was a tools book, right? Here's the here's 35 essential tools. And what I did with that one was um, or me and Tracy, Tracy and I wrote it together, Tracy O'Rourke. And um, it wasn't just, here's how you use it, here's an example. It was, this is where you're going to go wrong with this tool, classically, right. and here's ways right. to deal with that. And I think this was kind of like, to your word, self-help, because this is where you go wrong. And this is like beyond tools. This is just the, the people-centric aspect of where we all go wrong, which is the much tougher you know, give me a histogram. Like I can build it, yeah, that yeah. all day math, long. Math is easy, right? And yeah. people that no, don't listen to me, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> There's an algorithm for that too, but it's illegal. So uh, <laughs> looking at these, um, these sections, here's the one that I read first. So I read part five, treat people with respect first. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Right. The first really touches on what you just shared, which is, you know, I do consulting with businesses, mostly small, medium sized, um, you know, my my most recent not manufacturing or production work. Um, 
and the math, the engineering, the tools, that side of it is not only easy, but ubiquitous. It's all over the internet. You can find this stuff anywhere. Using it skillfully is a little bit more difficult. Being effective is rare. And we all know the statistics on like lean transformation success rates, you know, that sort of thing. Um, because you you just can't out tool uh, bad culture, right? If uh, if you don't have a certain direction and mindset, it's just not going to work, right? You know the the mindset of I want my my business to make more money without any personal cost to myself or changing anything is just incompat incompatible, right? Yeah. So this deals with a sort of fundamental underlying principle. Uh, but also, I'm, uh, I don't know, continuously surprised by the misunderstanding of respect for people that's out there in the world. Um, so I thought, well, this is, this is the gut check, right? Does this lady know what she's talking about? Let's go over here and see what, uh, see what she has to say, right? So treating people with respect. Um, Talk to me a little bit about treating people with respect. What was going through your mind that you wanted to include this? Any, you know, significant problems that you've observed, commonalities? Tell me about that. First, tell me the chapter in there that hit you the most. I think it was probably give new leaders a fighting chance. Um, I think all of them were good. Unite your tribes and be a leader people want to follow. I thought were very important. Yeah, I think unite your tribes and be a leader. Well, let's go right to be a leader people want to follow. And I think that to me, there's a title, right? We know that, you know, there's a supervisor, there's a manager, there's a director and on up. And that title says people report to you. But what does that mean in terms of how you make them feel and whether they really want to follow you all right are they punching a uh, are they ticking a box are they doing right. the things you tell them to do because i guess that's the job or are you inspiring people are you modeling something that is going to change someone's life because they're like wow you know, John always, you know, starts a meeting asking me how I am. So I'm going to do that for the rest of my career because that is such a big deal to me. It's so it's it seems minor. And yet he's showing me he, you know, gives a crap whether I'm OK, not OK, that that's part of the that's part of leadership. And I wanted to just make people think about and leaders could be, you know, it could be a sibling. It could be in a community organization. It could be on a sports team. It doesn't matter where you lead, but are you modeling something that people are like, oh, that's that's a good way to be. Like, I want to I want right. to. Right. Right. Yeah. In in uh, my book, which this podcast is not about, uh, I have a <laughs> which if uh, for our audience out there, if you're not familiar um I started with five things that I struggled with as a supervisor and I became supervisor. And then I got to the point in my career where I was hiring supervisors and they struggled with the same five things. 
I was like, there has to be a resource for this out there. And I went to school a lot of times, partly because I'm dumb and had to go a lot of times. Um, and partly because I enjoy learning and studying and, uh, I could not find a book anywhere, you know, and I have, cause you know, I'm, I'm, uh, not as young and handsome as I look, uh, all of my notes are, you know, my syllabuses are like printed on paper and they didn't have that, whatever that, uh, blackboard thing is online yet. And, uh, I'm looking through, you know, the, the, uh, bibliography and works that like all of the, all of the professors always had like their favorite books, you know, and I'm going through all of it and I couldn't find one that addressed these issues. So I wrote it. And one of them is leadership. And I use, you know, the, the pretty commonly accepted definition of basically getting people to work with you on a common task. It, technically it's the process of social influence whereby one gets the support of others in accomplishment of a common task. Right? And, and all the parts of that definition are important, but I make a point, which is, it's a social contract, right? If, if you are asking people, hey, here's where we're going. This is the vision. Can you help me get there? If they say no, the only thing that you have left in your arsenal is physical force. That's why dictators exist. This is a real thing, right? This is part of the human experience. And since that has sort of been taken off the table by this pesky thing called, you know, uh, civility and society and laws, you know, uh, we can't just force people, right? Physically, here's your handcuffs. You're not leaving this machine until you make a hundred pieces, right? Instead, we resort to, you know, like the next step, which is, well, I can't physically force you, but here's your write-up, right? And, and so there's this spectrum from, you know, people willingly trying to accomplish something with you to people unwillingly doing just enough to maintain status quo in their life, you know, not get fired, that sort of thing. There, mm -hmm. There's sort of a spectrum there, right, yeah. as a leader. Yeah. And I've seen this be a barrier over and over again to organizations, you know, that it just keeps them from getting to the next level. And part of that is structural. The way that we have designed our companies with hierarchical authority, um, inhibits, I think, the execution of good teamwork and good leadership. Yeah. Um, imagine if everybody in the company did not have the ability to write somebody up, how would things change? What would tomorrow look like? And if you answered absolute chaos, you might have a problem. Thankfully, <laughs> Elizabeth is here to help you with that. We are going to picture yourself a leader on a quality podcast. And we're in part five, treat people with respect. So Elizabeth, you talked about unite your tribe and be a leader people want to follow. Those, those kind of kind of go together. Um, I wanted to start with the very first point 34, be generous in your praise. By the way, I love the artwork. Thanks so much for sharing it with the world. Yeah. I uh, dabble a little bit in artwork as well. Um, not very good at it, but it's sort of cathartic. Um, but the ex <laughs> the expressions uh, and the the scenes that you put out there just tickled me pink. I loved it. Um, and and so the illustration here. Hey everyone, I want to bring attention to some great work. Give people credit; it's free, and it's true. But why is it so dang hard 
Why is this difficult? I think there's so many reasons for that. And kind of a benign one is we just don't think of it, right? Sure. You, it just like we've, you know, one of the buzzwords in our industry is intent, you know, like what's your intent and reflect, you know, all those things that we're supposed to be doing that we, you know, we're in the moment where we're busy, we've got, you know, deadlines and you're trying to crank. And so the thought of like taking a moment to say, just so you know, that thing you did was great. Um, uh, it's, it requires thought and taking that beat. So we don't necessarily do it. And then there might be other things I've, I've run into leaders who kind of ascribe to stoicism, right? That you should just do the things you're supposed to do. Don't expect people to, you know, lavish praise on you just because you're doing your job. Like right. I didn't expect that. No one gave me that. I heard that a lot. And that's probably one of those stories. No one praised me moving up right. the ladder. So, or the thought that you want people to tough it out, like just be mm. good, be great, do your best. Don't expect people to, you know, tell you that you're great. You know, that's everyone gets a trophy culture. Like that's just for pansies and snowflakes. And it's like, but actually it's so minor and it's something that, you actually do register, right? You know, when you, like you said it, you took the time, you said, hey, I really like this book and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. And it takes that moment of, I'm gonna actually say, or you register it, right? You register like, wow, that, what that, um, the way that whole uh, meeting parsed out or the way that person uh, built the structure for what we're trying to do is actually kind of elegant. I haven't seen one done so well. And you think it, and you kind of smile about it, but then it's work too, to say, hey, just so you know, what you just did, the structure, the way you did that, that was elegant. And it could be that quick, one email done. Um, and I think I mentioned uh, Daniel Pink who wrote Drive. And one of his examples that stuck with me was Wikipedia, that there's this whole thing that exists out there that was just crowdsourced and people work for free. Um, to create this cool thing, like that sense of like accomplishment and credit. That's what people um, are driven by more than a bonus, you know, or something more structural. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think the underpinning elements of psychology are kind of critical to being excellent and I've seen more and more in academic curricula, you know, picking up on understanding people and how critical it is to a, a business education, for example, in engineering education. You do realize that you're going to be working with people too, you know, not just Vensim or Ample or something like that, you know. Um, and, and one element that underlies most gosh, how do I want to, I'm going to say winners. That's a terrible word choice, right? Because it implies losers. But you know, the kind of person that I'm talking about that is relentlessly striving for excellence, they don't work for money. Money might be how they keep score, but that's not what they're working for, right? And I can usually tell when I engage with team members, if I give them praise, they might respond in any, any kind of way. But if it fuels their behavior, I know that I've got somebody on my hands that has a lot of potential, right? Uh, I have other people that uh, will respond, don't applaud, throw money. 
well, okay, I can do that too, but you're, <laughs> you're putting a cap on yourself, right? Um, so yes, give people credit. It's free. Why is it so hard? We might just be ignoring. Like it takes effort. It takes intentionality. And you're right. There's a, there's a cultural gap. And I think that there is a bit of a generational gap at play there. I know a lot of men uh, in my family that's, you know, the, the generation before me, mm. where if you approach them and say, hey, you know, you're doing a really good job. I appreciate your commitment to the company, uh, but I'd like you to work on this. I think we can do better here. You know, their response would be, man, shut the hell up. Stop treating me like I'm a little kid. Just tell me you suck. You know, it's like, well, I don't talk to people that way, um, <laughs> you know, so so let's start there, you know, um, and, and different people sort of want and expect different things and and feel respected, depending on how you treat them. So there, there's an element of knowing your audience and all of that. And and yes, times are changing and, and that sort of thing. But I will tell you one barrier that I've seen to praising others as crazy as it sounds, is just, it's vulnerable. Mm. If you take the time out to praise somebody else, that's actually a vulnerable position to be in. And I think that holds some folks back. They're not quite sure how to deal with that. Say more. What's vulnerable about it? Well, for starters, you don't know how the person's going to respond. Mm. You know, when you praise someone, they could come back with, well, how come you're not as good as I am? Or... I don't want your praise. You know, it's like rejecting a gift or it could be, well, it's about time you recognize me. There's all kinds of ways people could respond that make it scary for some people. And on top of that, you're expressing, you know, something deeper than a mechanical um, transactional relationship. You know, a bonus is mechanical and transactional, right? Here's your bonus. Good job. Yeah. Right. But when you take the time to just praise somebody, it's not mechanical, and you're revealing a little bit about your internal state to that person. Yeah. You said something interesting. You said, know your audience, right? And I think that that's also integral to leadership, that you have to know who you're dealing with, who you're leading, or who you're working with. I mean, we're all kind of helping each other out and might be leaders at various moments based on our work, our relationships, and that relationship is the key. So know your audience requires a relationship. And that's how you would know, all right, this person, this this person who's been at this job, you know, 50 years and um, is maybe part of the crustier generation you're you're talking about maybe the the reality there is working with that person and just going that was nice you know what i mean mm-hmm. it could be yeah. a very subtle nod but a nod to we both know what you just did was really good yeah. um and not perfunctory like i think that vulnerability of i would just like to say you know like knowing that person knowing your audience means knowing that per- human would probably lead you to be able to say in such a way that uh, that person could hear it. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who does metal work and is uh, building a custom body. I believe it started as a 64 Riviera, but it's it's going to look like a 
you know, 1930s, you know, kind of beetle back car. And he's, he's hammering and welding out by hand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had a, ha- we have a mutual acquaintance who was there to assist on the program. And this person, uh, happens to instruct in welding and metal construction, uh, at the local university. And, uh, he kind of just walked around the project, you know, and, and then he looked at my friend and he just, he just kind of went, it's good work. But that meant so much more to that guy right. than anything else you could have said, right? Because here's an expert in the field who acknowledged this is great work. And since my friend is a little bit of an introvert, the way that he said it was meaningful as well, you know, which was I'm acknowledging this good work, but I'm not making a big deal out of it. And, you know, hey, everybody, come look at this guy. He's going to give a speech right now. Hey, t- tell them how you did. This is awesome, man. <laughs> That would be me, you know, sticking my foot in it, you know, like I get all excited. I meant, hey, man, this is awesome. You know, (laughs) and and meanwhile, the guy's like, have you not spent any time with me? (laughs) You know, I hate this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and I think that highlights, you know, another aspect of uh, knowing people, you know, like we talked about, uh, which is knowing yourself you know, as well as the audience and, and how you guys might work together. And then the, the underlying element, and this is something that, you know, I've been talking about and thinking about, and I, I can't think of the right language for it because because it's sort of fallen out of favor. The, the only word that I can come up with is charity, but in the old-fashioned way we used to use the word, which was to take somebody – at their best, you know, when someone interacts with you, assume the best about them and let them prove you wrong, yeah. right? So we we kind of use the word charity now for like, um, you know, giving money to, to charities, right? Uh, or something like that. And, and that use of the word has fallen, you know, sort of out of use, mm. so, but I don't know what to replace it with. And it's a fundamental element that sort of greases the wheels of civic society and I don't think we talk about it enough. It's a learned skill as well. And I think it's part of, you know, respect for people. I think in that is that charity you're talking about that give, you know, respect um, should be given without question, right? I mean, trust is earned, but respect is bottom line. That's you lead with that. And I think that there's charity in that, that you are assuming good intent, you are giving benefit of the doubt, you are, you are, and often by leading with that, you can actually cause it to happen, right? Right. If you lead with, I'm sure your intentions are good, you might take someone who realizes, oh, my intentions should be good on this. They're assuming my intentions are good. Step it up here and do something for the good of the of the group. So I think that that's also uh, got momentum to it, that um, when you lead with that, you can also help um, form it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people and including yours truly, um, sometimes we, we act sort of on the basis of like Maslow's hierarchy or some psychological structure that is opaque to us in the current moment. And we're not, 
we're not intending to be difficult or cantankerous or whatever. It's just that we have certain things we want and they might not even be in the frontal lobe. Right. You know, they might be back here. And, and so we re react and respond and that's just called being human. And I don't hold it against people. So when I'm trying to change something, you know, change means danger. You know, it's like the, uh, the, uh, chimpanzees that they studied, you know, they're in the forest of fig trees and there's a lot of food here, right? And one of the things that, you know, sort of separates the human race out is our ability to say, you know what, by 2035, there's not going to be any more figs. So we either need to learn how to plant them or find a new forest, mm. right? But it's rare. Like our, our default condition is like, wait a minute, things aren't that bad. You know, yeah. we, we don't need to change anything. Things are doing pretty good. Hold on. Let me check my 401k. Uh, <laughs> actually, now that you bring it up, we do need to change some stuff because my stocks have gotten hammered lately. Um, and so, you know, when like when I get that sort of default response from people, well, of course, they're going to have that because the danger thing is going off in the medulla oblongata or whatever, right. you know, and, and that's not something that, that we really control as people. It's just part of being human. Yeah. Right? I think that it's interesting. There's another chapter in there called participate culture is a contact sport. And I think what you're saying, like there's things we do without knowing, right. And whatever that inner drive is that we're not always cognizant of that's driving us um, that we have to be mindful of, okay, regardless of how humans are behaving myself and others, I have to, um, interact and I have to do something when I feel like uh, this isn't quite right. You know, like you just had a great quote, which I'm going to steal at some point. Um, you can't out out tool um, bad culture. Right. So that's just, yeah, you're, it, this is going to probably end up being another blog, but the, um, the idea of culture is this amorphous thing with a bunch of humans uh, operating on some drives some books they read, some structure, like um, hierarchy, maybe not, maybe chaos, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, something happens. Like I, I was just part of a meeting and it was a bunch of uh, colleagues saying, hey, this happened, here's my challenge, any suggestions? And she was in a manufacturing situation and uh, there's these huge bins of wrought iron fasteners and they're it's a conveyor and they're these buckets moving and someone sort of jokingly says you know hey you could put your jewelry in there and I'm saying that obviously with a very <laughs> intentionally bad voice I have no idea how that was said I have no idea if it was an attempt to be kind of chummy with her but she definitely took it as you know I'm the girl I'm the minority you know she's young in her career and she was like you know how do I how do I deal with that you know and my, uh, my, you know, I came from improv and, you know, uh, I would say, hey, I'd say, yeah, you can put your golf balls in there too. Like I would just come up with a, you know, it, and that's tit for tat, not right. also a great operating model for working with people. And, and then someone else said, I would ask to them to repeat it. Like you didn't hear it right. Like <laughs> the what? Put the jewelry in and then I just read. I don't see that in the standard work. What <laughs> <laughs> where's the whole jewelry thing what are you saying and and just and then there's an eb white quote about you know humor you know you know if dissected like a frog 
will die, you know, like right, it doesn't right. survive that process. So whatever that joke was going to be, the joke is kind of dead. And, and you've kind of called them on it without saying, you know, you can't make jokes, you know, whatever. And, but back to our world, it's inquiry. So you could use a tool that we know is foundational to improvement and getting to root cause and understanding. And I just thought that's part of our jobs, right? We have to be mindful of, well, we're all just, the guy was just joking. He probably makes those jokes all the time. He's human. And it didn't, maybe the intent was to kind of like the pitcher's brush back, like know your place. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was just like, you know, I'm just joking with you because I'm getting to know you. Who knows? We don't know each other's intent, right? But you are responsible for your the culture. So you have to step up and, you know, ask and be part of it um, and and hopefully get somewhere somewhere good. And and to your point, you know, out tool the bad culture. Yeah. Well, this is a quality podcast. I'm your host, <laughs> Johnny Midas, and we have with us Elizabeth Swan, written and illustrated. Picture yourself a leader. It must be the end of segment two because my coffee cup of excellence is empty my mine still has a little in it i just i put the segments in in the uh vain hope that someone will sponsor the show someday um so that's what that's for so uh we we spent quite a bit of time on uh treat people with respect and i think it's a an important topic um because it, it can't be intellectually apprehended right and this is the problem with the super skills, right? So you've heard the term soft skills. I don't, I don't really like the term hard skill and soft skill. Um, and so I sort of flipped the script. I call them super skills because they have much more leverage than the hard skills, especially nowadays. I mean, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but the combination of everybody realizing they could work from home and by everybody, I mean the corporations, and chat GPT, um, you know, we're, we're good. We're about to see a shift in how people contribute value, right. Yeah. To the overall outcome and vision. And so, so so-called soft skills, these are the skills that people are going to be paying for, for the next hundred years, the hard skills, not so much, right. Just because I can turn a, an operational question about product volume mix into sort of longhand math script and then program it into ample to to spit out like mixed model constrained optimization. I hate to tell you this, but a computer can do it in two seconds now. Yeah. Right. So much more leverage, much more valuable. And I don't like soft skills because we associate the word soft with like weak or mm. not having resolve. And and that's not not the case, right? So treating people with respect is one of those uh, super skills and you you just you can't read a book and be good at good at it and i say this you know i use this metaphor sometimes you know if you want to be good at baseball you can't read a book on it you have to get in the batting cage right you can read a book on baseball and it can get you thinking certain ways that can really help help you improve like what do i need to do next where am i stuck right but at the end of the day you have to get in the batting cage and swing a thousand times right and so this is something that we have to continually practice uh, that, you know, 
I haven't arrived. It's like the further I get down the path of leadership, self-awareness, leading others, the further I go, like the further behind I get, you know, the more and more I realize how far I have to go, if that makes sense. Mm. These are really great points. And I completely back your use of the term super skills, and I'll adopt that because I wrestled with that. I didn't want to say this is a soft skills book. I didn't, I think I wrote people centric and your personal hurdles and kind of potholes, you know, just different ways of talking about what goes into this. Cause I agree with you. That feels like, and I think it's changed. They moved from soft skills. I don't know. Maybe they called them anyway. There it's, it, it's, there's lots of names out there, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the super skills and your framework around what computers are going to be doing, right? Um, and just um, one of the things chat GPT or the AI can do now is take the, the bar exam, right? And outdo. So I'm thinking, yeah, so there's the whole legal world going, oh, so a computer could fight this. Uh, right. And that's interesting, but that's the um, adversarial um, interaction and you're talking about, we're talking about the opposite and how are you building with the, with your super skills? So that's just a great framework. That's a really good call to action. I think for people. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to sort of, I guess, segue from there to part two, speak thoughtfully. Right, because the two go together. Um, yeah, and it is a pleasure to speak with you, um, because you're practicing a lot of the skills that are in the book uh, with your listening and your interaction. And I just like having fruitful conversations with mm. you know like-minded people. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, this speak thoughtfully. You know, speaking thoughtfully is not probably like the first thing people would use to describe me speak probably uh the thoughtfully part you know you have to ask me a technical question right you ask me a tech technical question i'll say oh hold on let me check because that has a right or a wrong answer otherwise i do a lot of like verbal processing you know i'll just i'll just talk around and talk around and talk around oh that's what you mean okay cool we can, we can move forward now, right and uh it's gotten me into some trouble sometimes you know some misunderstandings we'll call it. And so this was this was really useful to me. Um, I really like the beware the illusion of listening that you have in here. And I love the comment, right? So this thing happened. And here's how it affected me. And the other party's thinking, ooh, that happened to me too. And I can remember, <laughs> right? So the opposite of talking isn't listening. Right? What's the opposite of talking? Waiting to talk, waiting to talk, right? I've never been guilty of that ever. Um, I'm, <laughs> uh, and I'm very honest as well. So, but, uh, in this section, there's quite a few, uh, very helpful reminders, you know, to me, it was kind of like holding up a mirror, you know, where I'm like, oh yeah, I like, I, I knew this, but gosh, to see it all together in one place is so helpful. And really, I think that's kind of like the book in a microcosm is everything in here, super helpful. 
And I've heard it before, but just like the supervisor book that I put together, it hasn't been in one place before. And, and to have a format where I can kind of refresh myself, oh yeah, you know what? I still suck at that. I need to keep working on that, you know, uh, very helpful. So beware the illusion of listening, a great reminder that, you know, we rarely are in a spot where we're actively and consciously not listening, right? Occasionally that will happen, but much more common is, no, I think I'm engaged with this person. I'm not ignoring them. I'm not like, shut up and get out of my office, right? But I'm not listening. I'm waiting for my turn to talk. It's true. Um, this is a fascinating one. And like you said, it's something we all do and we all have to work at it all the time. You know, like this isn't just, I wrote that. So yeah, I'm above that now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm right in the thick of it with you. And what's fascinating is this, this quote came from a guy I worked for in my early thirties, uh, a guy named John Gaspari, who wrote some incredibly best-selling books. This is pre-Amazon. This is New York Times. You know, those are the, that what meant you were a bestseller. And the first book he wrote, I, was, I know it when I see it. And that was about quality and kind of the disconnect he saw with the, where he was working and what Deming and everybody else was saying. And he's funny. And um, he, he always saw himself as the Dave Barry of the, you know, business world. And I wrote him after the book was published. I've been talked to him in a long time. I wrote him and I was like, just so you know, I quoted you in this book. And he wanted, he wanted, wanted to meet for lunch and we just met for lunch. And, you know, he's gone on and written lots of other books. And, and uh, anyway, I, what I told him, what he didn't know was what I said was the neuroscience behind it, which is, you know, we process what uh, we speak at 150 words a minute but we can process what people are saying at 450 to 650 words a minute. So our brains are working against us that, mm -hmm. you know, we can just, yeah, 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 yeah. I got what you're saying. I figured that I figured out where you were going long right. before you finished your sentence. So I'm, I've got room, I got space, you know, and we can fill that space with a whole bunch of different things. And I think once I understood that, I didn't feel this was such a personal thing. Like the fact that right. I'm waiting to talk, I'm geared to do it. So right. it's up to me to take that beat and say, well, what are you going to do with that time? That's not you, you know, figuring out whether you let the dog out and, and actually add to this conversation. Like, what are you taking in? Cause you say, like you said, I'm, I'm not the most thoughtful guy. And I'm thinking the, the, in the purest form of that word, thoughtful you think a lot like you're really thinking about what you're dealing with what you see and and that's what comes through right so I think uh that thoughtful piece is oh I'm thinking about how this interaction goes that you have this time what are you going to do with it and that's what I think helps propel us forward is just that we know that now okay I can work on that yeah, yeah. In that in that split second, my life can flash before my eyes, as well as um, improvements to my fantasy football team lineup this weekend. You know, there's all kinds of things our brains could do in that gap 
while someone else is talking, especially if you know how the rambling paragraph is going to end to the yes and no question that you ask the person. Um, so <laughs> but one thing that I've done, this is sort of a, a discipline or, or habit that I'm trying to form is I try to be conscious of that point in time, which is, you know, 0.76 seconds into the conversation. And I focus on the body of the person that I'm talking to, right? What's going on in this room right now? Are they nervous? Are they reserved? Are they excited? Are, you know, what, what's going on with this person? And so I, I just redirect that distracted, you know, ADHD uh, monkey with a banana part of my brain to, you know, studying like, here's what's going on right now in front of me. Um, and it's, it's sort of, you know, it's not, it's not like Zen or something, you know, where like, I'm actually in the moment, but it's the next best thing, right? Yes, my brain is still going crazy, but at least it's going crazy about like this person. That's actually smarter than you think. <laughs> because... <laughs> I don't think it's smart at all, but it works. No, no, it me. is because you know what that is? That's the other, another stat that we've all been raised to know, which is, 80% of communication is nonverbal. You're actually looking at what that person is communicating to you aside from what they're saying. So you have taken that extra time to focus on the other aspect of communication, which is the body, right? Is this person nervous? Are they um, worried? Are they, um, is there some angst behind this or are they a little, um, might they be annoyed with me? Do I sense, a t you know, like, so, reading that and listening to that is actually just broadening the conversation. Yeah. And I also learned that they have dandruff on their black cardigan. So I get like, <laughs> that tells you something too. <laughs> yeah. Probably more about myself. Right. Um, so we are, uh, we are getting low on time, but I wanted to touch on one of my favorite sections of the book, which was get curious about conflict. Um, here, here's the thing for me is it's a, it's a little mood dependent, you know, for me. Um, but most of the time I, I don't care so much about conflict. I kind of like it because I'm getting to deal with like what people really feel, you know, some, sometimes it takes a little conflict for people to actually express themselves. Right. However, there is definitely like this element of uh, ego that never goes away. And, and I should say unhealthy ego. So I've been, I've been retraining myself, you know, the whole, um, you know, like no ego thing is that that's actually technically incorrect, right? But healthy ego, uh, that's, a, that's really what we're talking about. So there's an unhealthy ego element where it's like, you can, like, we can have conflict up until the point where I feel like you're disrespecting me. And that line also moves. It depends on, you know, if my breakfast was burnt and, it, you know, if I got my cup of coffee, you know, all, all of this stuff yeah. that affects us as people. And sort of seeing this paradigm shift about getting curious, you know, and instead of manage conflict, Right? Like I hear that all, how do you handle conflict? How do you manage conflict? And conflict resolution is a, another topic uh, in my book as well, uh, because it's not something that's generally taught, right? And it is a learned skill. 
Um, but this idea of get curious about it, I found to be uh, very helpful. It is helpful. And I'm sure it's helpful for people regardless of what is the venue, right? Helpful at home, <laughs> helpful right. when a spouse is like, why did you leave your shoes here? Like those moments where you're thinking, huh, this is, this is conflict. This person isn't happy. And I'm, I'm now going to think about the things that I'm not aware of. And it usually leads to curiosity will help you because now you're like, okay, what's, what's behind this conflict and clearly things I don't know. Cause I didn't expect it. And if you don't expect the conflict, there's something you need to, you know, understand. And so I think, and, and that will help you, right? If you understand that, then it's usually going to pave that whole uh, aspect you talked about, which is the, you know, conflict management. Like you have to understand before you can get, you have to go through it basically. So what's going to help you go right, through Right, right. Yeah, it, as opposed to, so, you know, when, when uh, conflict arises, right? There's a lot of ways that people respond to it. I see... I see way too much in my mind, uh, way too much smoothing over, you know, this yeah. idea of like, oh, oh, this is bad. People are having negative emotions. Well, hold, you know, put the brakes on a little bit. First of all, we're not solving cancer. We're talking about how to make a widget. Okay. So we can have some conflict here, you know, like nobody's life is on the line. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I have dealt with several professionals for whom lives are on the line, right? Um, so I have some clients in the military. I have some some clients in uh, the EMT service. And here's the thing, they don't experience conflict in those cases because they're able to subordinate their ego to the mission. It just makes sense. They don't have to fight about that because like their human empathy comes through. So watching firefighters work together, they're yelling at each other. You know, I mean, they're yelling at each other, go, 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 you know, you over there, you know, whatever. But that's because lives are on the line and nobody cares. Nobody's like, well, hold on just a second. You didn't talk to me in the appropriate tone. You need to ask me politely. No, there's a baby dying in that building, right? You need to go take care of it. And, and so maybe because of the training, but also I think because of the, what they're involved in, it changes their response. And so I always think about that, you know, when I'm in a conversation, maybe it gets heated. I don't want to smooth it over because this is how things get out. We have to deal with it. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself more and more like, wow, what a weird thing to be worked up about. You know, like we're, we're making doorknobs, you know, we're not saving babies from burning buildings. There's two things. One, that phrase you just used, subordinate to the mission. And bringing back the mission, regardless of what it is, making a good widget, um, is key, right? We both can agree on this. We both want to do this. The other aspect behind this is emotion. We just don't acknowledge it's there. And if you don't acknowledge it's there, it goes weird places. So yeah, yeah being so i think that combination like okay this is irritating but we're both trying to get x done so what are the things that we can do you know it's and it's you know there's probably that iconic getting to yes 
right? The Harvard uh, negotiation treatise, but that part of it is like, what is the what is the common goal? And that I think was clear when that statement of yours. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining a quality podcast today. Your book, Picture Yourself a Leader, Illustrated Micro Lessons for Navigating Change. We will put the link to the Amazon page in the comments down below. If folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for folks to reach out? You can reach me at Elizabeth, and I spell my name with an S, and that's because my parents did. And the it's Elizabeth at ElizabethSwan.com. And the last name is S-W-A-N, no double N, just the just the bird. So Elizabeth at ElizabethSwan.com or Elizabeth Swan uh, on LinkedIn. I'm happy to uh I'm happy to communicate with you either way. And I'll put that on the screen and uh, down below in the notes so people can copy and paste. I love your email address. Uh, I have the same one. I mean, not Elizabeth Swan, but never mind. <laughs> I'm a you know what worried I'm about to say. that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, fantastic book. I think that you've added a real useful addition uh, to my library and hopefully lots of other folks. Elizabeth, we appreciate it. Thank you, John. It's been an awesome conversation. I totally appreciated it. Totally agree. And we have to do improv sometime. Now I'm like yes. all interested in that. Yes, and. See, Let's I've do been it. Googling it. Yeah, yes. totally. For all of you out there in YouTube land, thank you for joining the Quality Podcast. Johnny Mine is signing off. Have a good week. <laughs>